Tettleton, and I am the 2023 Global President of the Women's Energy Network, also known as WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is yet another way for WEN to feature our talented members in the energy community. I hope you can learn something new and enjoy your time with us today. Hi, this is Maggie Taliska, and the WEN podcast is back for our third and final episode in the Why Water series. Previously, we talked to three experts on water, Sarah Richards of New Braunfels Utility, Ann Castle from the University of Colorado Law School, and Edelyn Koja from the Nature's Conservancy's Colorado River Program. In the last two episodes, we discussed how complicated water rights and usage can be by discussing the challenges facing the sustainability goals and the collaboration it will take to ensure quality water for all stakeholders involved. But in this episode, we are going to connect water to energy, and we're not going to get electrified while we do it. To do just that, we've brought back Sarah Richards to help us connect the dots. Welcome back, Sarah. Well, thank you, and and thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. (laughs) Everyone in WEN uses water every day. However, not many work directly with water in their day jobs. Water is used in many of these processes and is all around us. How is the water industry similar to or different than the energy industry? I got to say, it's been so fascinating moving into the energy space and getting to kind of compare it to what I've seen in the in the water space. There's so much of the same. And then, of course, there's a lot that's different as well. You know, we noted this in the first episode, but one of the big similarities is we're serving a lot of the same stakeholders. And, and there's a lot of stakeholders to serve. That's one of the challenges and one of the joys of both of the industries. Absolutely. We both have to leverage natural resources to fulfill the needs of the world. We require major capital investments. One of the the transitions that I've seen that's similar on both fronts is traditionally, at least on the, the, the utility front, have had a very centralized approach to energy generation, uh, getting to the end user, whereas on both fronts now, we're seeing this move to decentralized generation and production. So on the electric side, that might be locally sourced battery, solar, even wind. On the water side, that's rainwater capture, AC condensate capture at the building scale, at the maybe district scale, the neighborhood scale. So this interesting shift from a very centralized approach to a decentralized approach. And that shift has you know, a lot of challenges in business model of a utility, whether that's water or electric. And so both are, I think, really grappling with that transition the same. And also, I think there's this conundrum or challenge in both spaces where, especially on the utility front, we want to sell less of our product. You know, does that make sense? Water conservation and efficiency, electricity conservation and efficiency, we promote it um, as a best practice, but it means we're selling less of our product and somehow seems to kind of not make sense with our with our business model. So that is an interesting conundrum that both water and electric utilities face. I wanted to dive in a little bit more onto that though, because one of the things we talked about in our prep session was how water can come from many different resources, right? Like yes. you're you're talking groundwater, mountaintops, Mm -hmm. snowfalls that turn into water. Um, There are so many different resources and so many different ways to get water. 
Yep. And then on the flip side, it's almost the opposite with oil and gas or electricity or anything like that. It, it comes from multiple resources, but it's going through a single transmission line. So there are roadways pre-created for energy. So can you talk a little bit about the challenges that water has when it comes to where people get their resources from? Because at least in energy, we can tie it back to right. a single well or a single battery or something out there, right? It all goes through the same line, but our electrons have a road to follow. Yes. <laughs> to get <yeah>. to you. <laughs> Water is a lot, a lot more expensive to move from point A to point B. So it ha- it tends to have more designated pathways, right? In New Braunfels and New Braunfels utilities, we do have a number of different water sources that we use. But those aren't commingled, right? The water that we're pulling from the aquifer through wells is designated and only travels to a certain part of our customer base, whereas water that we're pulling from the Guadalupe River is on a different set of pipelines, you know, treatment processes and plants through different pipelines to a different set of customers. Um, You're really, really limited with water in the, the distance that water source is from your customer base because it is so expensive to move it and transport it. So while, so for example, you know, people are like, oh, we've got plenty of water because look at the oceans. And we do, we we have these huge oceans out there, all the saline water, and yes, we can desalinate it, but guess what? The majority of people do not live within spitting distance of that of that saline water. It actually has to be piped, and that drives the price up enormously, so it is a huge hindrance. Water sources generally tend to be pretty close to the customers because it's just too expensive. It's not affordable to, um, for p- people cannot afford it to move at long distances. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine you can't step up or step down water like you can in the voltage. No, no you, you absolutely can't. And with how we produce electricity or the byproducts of the natural resources that we utilize, we take different parts of that and put it into so many different phases of life, right? For example, you just look at, we will maybe fractionate to get some gas out of the the ground. We will then make sure that that gas is pushed through a pipeline, but then, oh, by the way, we're going to liquefy it to put it on a boat because it's cheaper to do it that way. And then we'll re-gasify it once it gets back on ground. And, oh, that'll go through a process facility. Like think of how many times we transform the ultimate source of our, our energy landscape, whereas water you either have steam or you have right. water or you have ice, and, right? <laughs> which is ice is heavy. It so is. you're not going to transport it that way. Right. And steam is very high pressure, high, high temperatures. It's, it becomes a safety hazard. So yeah. water form is the easiest way to transport it. And like you said, that's still expensive. It is. So part of my day job is to understand why something is important to the projects that I work on with all of the stakeholders that I play in. And we talked a little bit about this. I think we didn't talk to it from the point of view of energy. Why should the energy world pay attention to water, right? Why is it something that we need to be able to, to understand and use in our day-to-day? I think this is such a great question. And I I feel like my answer to this is going to continue to evolve over the next couple of months and years. So I might be uh, calling you back to to give you some more information on this. But 
But I think you heard in the first episode the challenges, the water challenges that the world really is up against. We have a limited supply and an abundance of need for it. So really anything the energy energy industry can do to help us conserve water it is um, invaluable. And in the simplest of terms, every drop of water saved in the U.S. saves energy and every unit of energy saves water. And one statistic in California, 19% of the overall water energy used is connected with water, be that purification, treatment, or distribution. Another stat for you, um, nationally, it's estimated that the water-related energy use accounts for 13% of the nation's total energy consumption, at least 520 million megawatt hours annually. So there is just such a deep embedded connection between water and energy that decisions that you make in the energy world can have a big impact on the availability and quality of water that we have. I was just going to say, I think it's so important for us to understand that like, in order to transform the molecules that we are moving, Mm -hmm. water is such a critical part of those processes. So, I mean, steam turbines, the whole word in there is steam, right? You have to have it, but that means there's entire treatment skids around that. There's valves that have to work with condensates going through them. There's so much to the industry, and that is after it's treated to be able to be used in the facilities to be clean enough to run through the pipes and not cause long-term damage and then cause an even bigger problem if there is damage with nobody having electricity, right? So I think there's so much of a connection that we just don't even realize it. Right. I could say a little bit more too. Um, There's a big difference there in the type of energy we're creating and the amount of water that's used. So there's a a big transition here. Um, Coal and natural gas require a lot more water. So for example, coal requires 580 gallons of water for every megawatt hour. Natural gas requires 310. Um, But renewables like solar and you know, conservation don't require any water. So, um, so there are ways, even within the industry, the type of energy being produced. Um, as we shift to more renewables, we are going to see less of an impact on uh, water. Hopefully, uh, it's interesting because you mentioned that solar doesn't need any water. And I think in the first episode you were talking about, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of stakeholders, one might do something for their gain, and it causes a problem downstream. Well. Yeah. With solar, a lot of the landowners are really resenting and saying that we're taking away land for different crops and agriculture. So something like my company was very committed to dual purpose solar. So we were going to co-locate the solar and agriculture at the same site. But guess what? You need water for that, right? And in some cases, like I mentioned before, we didn't own those water rights. So here we're trying to grow high value crops for the communities, but then we need it to bring in water to, to, to feed those. Or if you have animals grazing, you need to bring in water and things like that. So it's it's always it always seems to be a struggle. But I do think that the water and the energy industries need to be working together and need to continue working together. What can the energy industry work on to help water sustainability goals? Like how can we work together to, you know, achieve something that's benefited for both of us? I think there's there's a, a lot of things that can be done. Some are a lot easier than others. A great start is to, well, one, just first kind of know who the water utilities are within, within your service areas or just the geographies that you work. Get to know them. Talk to them. My guess is you're going to be able to find some common ground 
down some areas where you might be able to partner together for for the good of both. Um, Also, get to know the water intensity of your energy work. You can conduct a water assessment to really understand how much water is required for your company or your your agency to produce or whatever you're doing in the energy space to understand the water intensity of it. And once you understand the water intensity of it and, and you understand the intensity by operation and by part, some ideas of how you may, may be able to reduce that water use may come to mind. And also don't forget that there's things that the water industry can do can do for you too to help decrease their energy load. Um, they can do an assessment to figure out what's the energy load of, of their water systems and are there ways they can, can reduce energy or work with you to provide more renewable sources of energy to meet their, their uh, water production goals. Um, there's also opportunities to kind of integrate. You mentioned a, a great example of this, but ways to integrate water and electric generation. I am definitely not an expert in this, but but there are opportunities to pair solar with desalination so that desalination is being um, powered by, by that solar or to co-locate power plants with water treatment plants so that, um, and brackish desalination as well, so that you're treating the water um, at the power plants that the power plants are using so that water can then be put to good use somewhere that it might be needed. Doing these kinds of things is especially important, I think, in water-stressed areas. So if ever you're you're working or you know your geography covers a water stressed area that may be a great place to look at and and start looking for ways you might be able to work together so what i'm hearing is really know your stakeholders both direct and indirect and then we've talked in our past episodes about carbon and carbon offsets and carbon intensity carbon footprints it makes sense to to study your water footprint. What are Absolutely. you using? What are you impacting? What is going, again, direct and indirectly based on your production and what you're doing? And I think any industry would be well served to think about things in the way that you have with open water. Well, and I, the other thing that I'm hearing here is, is don't be afraid to ask for help in collaboration. Collaboration of the future is not going to come from the same stakeholders or not even the same stakeholders, the same partners that it has in the past. I think we've seen this with the different energy, new energy projects out there is that we are expanding into larger worlds. And maybe some of the worlds that we need to expand into are the utilities that we work with, the government agencies, the nonprofits that have focuses elsewhere, but still work with the same stakeholders. So, yes. I am super excited about this. Thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for coming again. I do want to go into the fun part of our stuff. So we skipped this on episode one, and most of our listeners are going to be sad about it. But don't worry. We're going to get you here on episode three. The idea of this next section is just to get to know you a little bit better. Short, succinct, sweet answers. We will not judge you. Or if we do, we will just be silently doing that in our head. So the idea is just to, to have some fun with this, okay? So, Maggie, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Awesome. If you could share one meal with anyone, living or dead, who would that be? And it could be many. It could be anyone. Okay. It's got to be multiple because I, I'm just too excited about all these folks. Um, David Bowie, Gloria Steinem, Salvador Dali, and Martin Luther King Jr. That would be an interesting conversation. I know. I'm not sure they would get along, but I would love to see them try. That's all right. My table was not going to get along. You'll have to listen (laughs) to the previous episode to hear that one, or previous episode topic, I should say. What song would you like to sing at karaoke? 
I actually love singing karaoke and my favorite is Selena's Como La Flor. <laughs> nice. That's nice. a, it's a good Texas one. It is. All right. If you had a warning label, what would yours say? Let's say danger, deep water, swim at your own risk. Ooh, good <laughs> one. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to open it up to just esoteric, thought-provoking conversation. What has been on your mind recently that you hope to share with listeners? What's been on my mind lately is the joys of aging as a woman. Perimenopause. I love it. I gotta say, it's my favorite thing ever. I am in the throes of it myself. Well, I think it's interesting because yesterday <sighs> I was listening to a podcast I and I too. don't often, but um, there's a podcast. It was a really good one and I we should probably share this in the notes, but it was The Journal and Gimlet. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to mm-hmm. that daily and they talked about postpartum depression and the impacts in the mental health of women. Yeah. So uh, I think that, you know, while yours isn't quite as extreme as that, it was yeah. a really moving episode. So I'm here with yep. you. On this. <sighs> well, you know, welcome to Texas and welcome to perimenopause. Well, this has been super fun to get to know you, Sarah. Thank you so much for all of the the conversation. And we look forward to seeing what you do out there in New Braunfels. Maybe next time we're out there, we can have a glass of wine. I I think we should. Thanks so much to you both. It's been so much fun. It's been great. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow when on social media. I hope to see you next time.